Hello, this is the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and he's Gregor Robertson. Today we're joined by The Times' very own James Restall and Matt Dickinson. Hello, everyone. How's everyone doing? Very well, thank you. Yes, Matt? So you, so you should be. You've just been to Milan for the Milan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice. So, yeah. We sh- yeah, so we should say you missed Thursday's pod because I you did. were flying to Italy to, yes. to cover the Milan derby. How was it? Oh, it was thrilling. Yeah. Um, I'm still a little bit exhilarated by it all, really, to be honest. Amazing setting in the San Siro and Inter Milan went top of the league after Juventus uh, lost to Hellas Verona the, mm. the night before. Um, and it was some game... Milan Milan went 2-0 up, Ibrahimovic uh, scored a goal and, and set up another and then whatever Conte, Antonio <laughs> Conte said at half time certainly worked and they were like a team possessed, um, scored four goals in fly in the second half so a hell of a night. Hell of a night and you must be a little bit shattered, early start for yeah, you this morning. Yeah, sleep deprived as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why you're here though, you're dedicated Absolutely. to the pod. James, how are you by the way? I'm very good, thank you. Good. Very good. I just wanted to ask Gregor, which of the, uh, the ex-Premier League players oh, impressed yes. you the most of the Inter Milan team? Lukaku, I mean, he's. Uh, we're speaking to kind of uh, one or two Manchester United fans actually, and saying, "Would you still? Would you take him back, or you, would you? Do you wish you had him?" Um, and the answer was yes. He's been rejuvenated over there, um, and the, the way he led the line was brilliant. Eriksen came off the bench and and rattled the bar from about forty yards with a free kick. Um, Moses came came off the bench as well, and Ashley Young was was excellent in the second half at left wing back. So. And and Sanchez started as well. It was his second start, actually. Mm. He's been struggling with injury. So all five former Premier League players played a part, yeah. OK, well, we'll talk about the Premier League in just a moment. We'll focus on Crystal Palace and where they should turn if it's time for a change. We'll also discuss the moment a player knows it could be game over on their career. But first, we're going to head into the EFL. And let's start with Leeds. Are they falling apart again? That is the question. Third place Fulham are now level on points with second place Leeds, closing what was once an 11-point gap. Leeds have won just twice since December the 10th. They've not kept a clean sheet in 10 games and failed in four of their past five league matches. So the question really is, why do we think they are struggling again? Matt, any ideas? Um, I don't think there's one reason. Mm. Um, I mean, I went to uh, to see Bielsa's press conference on Thursday, and it I mean, it was fascinating. It was it was everything I'd hoped. He he was um, fascinating in detail, and yet quirky. He was uh, sort of stubborn. He was. I mean, one answer was 25 minutes long to one... I mean, he was basically asked, you've got this new signing. And it was interesting because I had imagined that he would be quite impervious to outside chat. I thought this was a guy who, you know, he's got this great reputation, this reputation for being very sure about what he wants uh, and sort of, you know, he's not going to listen to the rest of the world. And yet he was just asked about the fitness of their new signing, Augustin, the, the, the forward, and... One simple question brought this 25-minute answer that was effectively a self-justification for why he wasn't on the bench in the previous game, how he had treated all the previous loan signings, why uh, about Bamford, about Nketiah. It was, it was, and it went on and on, and it was rich in detail. It was fascinating, and yet it was slightly worrying <laughs> uh, if I was a Leeds fan at the same time because it. You could almost feel the pressure in the room. You could. Really? I actually asked him that. My last question to him was to say, you know, I, I sort of come in from the outside, and I, 
in even in the press conference room, you could almost feel the the pressure ramp up during the press conference about these questions about why aren't we playing well? Is it falling apart again? Why aren't we scoring goals? Is this guy, this young, you know, striker under French under twenty one striker, going to be the answer? And yeah, by the end, I almost sort of felt left thinking if I was a Leeds fan and I'd sat through that, I, I would be a bit worried. Mm. It's, it's like I think it's been a recurring theme though. I saw them lose at QPR, and it was although it wasn't an hour long press conference. Mark Warburton was waiting like outside the door for about 10 minutes to get in because you'd ask him a question about perhaps why there wasn't options on the bench. And as Matt says, he was, he was almost justifying, he would, he would reference Enketia, Eddie Enketia, who they didn't play on loan from Arsenal. He brought it up. Mm. So, you know, no one, no one mentioned his name. Um, he's, 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 it does seem like he's trying to convince himself of that he's, he's not made errors in certain areas and... Um, like as Matt said, he's trying to kind of justify his own actions, and and even even if someone the, the new the new centre forward, even if he's if he's not ready now, then he was the wrong player to sign because they need the player now. They need someone to to give Bamford a rest, or or just to kind of give him another option up front. I also think defensively is is there's a huge concern there. I mean, uh, Leeds are top of the table for clean sheets this season with twelve in the Championship. All of those before December the 14th when um, they threw away a three-goal lead against Cardiff. And since then, a team that were really well defensively organised um, just can't keep a clean sheet. And, um, and I think when you've, got, when you've got concerns about the forward line, and I think Bamford's only got 12 goals this season, um, and it very much helps when you're in that championship promotion race to have a prolific goal scorer... Um, the, there are concerns at the back too. And Matt, I mean, is there a sense that this is a manager who struggles to have a plan B? Well, I think there's partly that. And I think, you know, you, you'll you get teams, um, yeah, who will just get wiser to, I mean, I think Forrest did that very well, just getting wiser to what Leeds' strengths are and how you shut down their system. Um, so I think you could see signs of that from Forrest as from other, you know, the sec- maybe that's one reason why the second half of the season um, is, is, is tougher because teams teams do get wiser and because Bielsa doesn't like to adjust his system much. I was interested, I spoke to a French journalist before went up on on last week and he said that watching him at Marseille and then in his quite short time at Lille, there was a sense certainly there that psychologically, because he constantly speaks through an interpreter, um, uh, obviously did in France and, and he's largely doing so in England, whether the psychology is harder for him to to calm a team down that mm. is that is struggling, as you know, if a team does start coming under pressure, as Leeds are, as Marseille eventually did, and I think it was pretty much pressure from the start at Lille because it, it it went badly. He struggles psychologically to to sort of settle a team. I mean, he is a. I'm trying to think of the the, the right way to put it. Um, he's he's a fascinatingly eccentric person. I mean, he he was communicated say for an hour whereas most managers you know get bored and walk out after 10 minutes so it's not as if he's against human interaction but you speak to you can see why some people say that he uh you know they talk about the distance he likes to keep from players and how he is a a, you know slightly odd character to have Mm. to to, to have around a training camp compared to a convention uh, many conventional managers i find that intriguing but some players have talked about how that distance Mm. is something that's quite singular about him and you do wonder and it's yeah this is a bit speculative but it would say it was interesting that this french journalist talked about it as well you do wonder whether that 
distance is part of the problem potentially in particularly when a team is uh, under this sort of pressure it's, it's interesting you mention that because Pontus Janssen obviously used to play for Leeds now plays at Brentford he's spoken about the both managers that he's had in his time Bielsa and now Thomas Frank and he says they're actually quite similar in, in the way that they obviously manage and want to coach their team but Frank has that more man management style which obviously Bielsa doesn't have what you're alluding to so that's interesting but you mentioned there about a goal scorer in your team obviously Fulham have that with Alexander mm. Mitrovic they're very much part of the chasing pack with Forrest who beat Leeds as we were hearing on Sunday there's Brentford as well and Preston who all picked up three points at the weekend let's not forget the leaders West Brom they were also winners victory at Millwall it is crucial that leads turn their fortunes around soon. Perhaps not on Tuesday though. They've got a little trip to Griffin Park. Um, but is it easy as you think mentality wise Gregor to be actually a part of the chasing pack? I think it is when the top two are wobbling. I think if, you, if you've if you got two teams who are relentless and throwing, putting results together as, the, as West Brom and Leeds were six weeks ago then no, it's not. you don't want to be in the chasing pack at all. It's, you, you can't get on their coattails. Mm. But at the moment I would say yeah, I mean, these these they're looking at the teams above and seeing how much pressure they're under. I think West Brom are, I think out of all of the teams, they're the ones that look like they're going to see it through. Because even when they're not playing particularly well, they're getting results and they're getting enough points just to maintain a place at the top of the league. I honestly think choosing the second team is impossible. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I, I'm sure you're going to ask me that. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm just, that might I'm just going. I'm just saying now. I don't. I can't choose because. You know, I think I, I I think Forest are looking better than they have in a long time. Yeah. But they still can just lose to Birmingham at home. It's the the championship is is, is crazy, and none of these teams Fulham put together a really good run of results, and then and then they they have a dip of form. Preston had an awful awful time uh, for a long period, and now they've kind of picked up some some results. So. It's who, it's who puts together the run at the right time towards the end of the season. I mean, we sound like we're, you know, I mean, quite rightly asking big questions about Leeds, but yeah, I mean, they can't be ruled out. I mean, you know, I think that no. you look at the talent, I mean, they're, they're, they are, they have got problems they need to address. And yeah, I, I, you know, you have to, you have to wonder if this slide is, is going to be easily transformed, but they've got the talent to do it. There's no, mm. what, you know, no two ways about that. And, uh, you know, the, again, the fascinating thing about um, the the new signing is that, um, again, speaking to people in France, they say absolutely he's got the talent for it, that he is going to be a top-draw player. But A, obviously he's got to learn how to fit into a, to, to Bielsa's style, and B, his, temp- his temperament, he had big problems um, with a France under-21 manager, dis- discipline issues, um, and is sort of regarded as still a bit sort of, um, you know, there's a blemish there in terms of his temperament that, that, that the French are still sort of waiting to answer. So, you know, it's a mercurial type signing. And, you know, if, if, he, hits a, if he hits his stride, that might be enough. That might, that might be the answer. Mm, but yeah. it's a, it's a big question. Over first, him. he's got to hit the fitness benchmarks that he demands of every player. And, you mm. know, who knows when that's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is interesting, isn't it? But despite the, the poor run of form they, that they are, they are still second, James, so we can't forget that. No, um, but I think one one thing that just concerns me about Leeds, and it might be, it, it, this is beyond Bielsa, over the last 10 seasons they've been in the Championship, they've only finished higher than the position they were at the halfway stage of the season once in the last 10 years. Last wow. season in those 10 years was their, their first appearance in the playoffs in those 10 years, despite being in a very good position at the halfway stage. Um, and 
the wheels look like they're, they're not they've not come off but they are they've lost i think five of their last six and they're looking very shaky so and, and if they do get in the playoffs um we remember what happened last season and we've talked about temperament and we've talked about game management um I wouldn't. I wouldn't put them as my favourites to win the playoffs against the other teams that are that in and around that position. I mean, Gregor, you ruled this one out, but mm. does anyone dare to suggest who could come out top two come the end of the season? I'll go. Uh, if, if you're asking me now, I'd say Fulham second, Brentford through the playoffs, and that's not just because oh. you're here. <laughs> oh goodness me! Right, we like you, James. That's good, Matt. Do you dare say? Oh, it's QPR through the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I may have a vested interest in that, but uh, no, I mean, I, yeah, I, if I'm sticking my tenor down, I, I can't put it on Leeds at the moment. I, yeah, I, I, I know it's going to sound daft, but having sort of, yeah, walked out of that room feeling exhausted um, by a press conference, I thought, yeah, this well, is... How the players uh, feel then? Well, exactly. Um, and that, that stat that James alluded to there about, uh, you know, this is, this is, this is a, a sort of pattern that, Bielsa seems part of, but may even, yeah, what does seem to predate him even. So, gun to the head, I would go with, oh, I can't say Fulham. I don't want to say Fulham. I'm going to abstain. Okay, um, all right then. One thing, uh, one, one, one last thing to add on the championship. Uh, if you look at the Premier League top two, there's 22-point gap. If you look at the gap from I think those 22 points in the championship take everyone from uh, West Brom at the top down to um, Mr Dickinson's QPR in 17th best league in the world now Crystal Palace are still without a win in 2020 after losing 3-1 to Everton on Saturday no wins in seven games for them now and only three victories in the last 19 in all competitions the Eagles are only six points from the relegation zone now so is it a question of it is time for the board to act now before it is too late. Is Roy Hodgson really the right man to be leading them? Matt, what do you think? Uh, I wouldn't be panicking. Um, certainly in terms of sacking the manager, I wouldn't be panicking. I mean, I, I had actually put, in a slightly fence-sitting way, had put Crystal Palace as not as one of my sort of could they be the third team relegated uh, at the start of the season and for a while I was hoping everyone would forget about that because <laughs> it was looking like it was going to be very wrong but that was at a time when the Zaha thing was you know really up in the air is he going to stay if he does stay is he going to be sort of mind on the job and um, you know I th- <laughs> it strikes me they've hit a bit of a where Brighton were this time last year where there's there is a you do wonder if there is a sort of slight end of regime feel about it and if you were the board would you be looking at what's next I mean I know Chris Hutton fans might say well you know Brighton that much better off under Potter but I, I while feeling sorry for Hutton I did understand why that change was made in the summer I could see what Brighton were aspiring t- to try and be and to try and refresh and to try and yeah to try and do better and I do wonder if that moment might come for Crystal Palace in the summer but I wouldn't be getting rid of, of Roy Hodgson now I think he's um, I think he's probably still their best bet of of staying up rather than panicking mid season and you know hoping you just suddenly get a bounce. Um, I think I think Crystal Palace should probably be a bit more foot on the ball um, than that. Certainly, say certainly till uh, till the end of May. 
Well, the odds of Hodgson becoming the next manager to leave his position plummeted from 33 to 1 to 2 to 1 with some bookmakers last week. That could be due to poor form, but it could also be due to the reporter's standoff between the club and Roy as he seeks assurances that transfer funds will be available. It doesn't necessarily help, Gregor. I mean, think of it from a player's perspective. If you're hearing the manager moan about the lack of transfers, that's not going to help the, what's going on within the club, the sort of mentality, is it? I don't know. I think they would probably accept that they need need some help. Right. I think you know they spent five and a half million on uh, James McCarthy and Jordan Ayew in the summer, and the rest were kind of freeze like Gary Gale. Um, the year before, Kuyate ten million from West Ham, and the rest were free transfers. So the last two years they've spent <laughs> peanuts really for Premier League standards, and Roy Hodgson's had to make do amend, and I think he's done a very admirable job in the circumstances really. It's quite. It's easy to look at Roy Hodgson and see a slightly unfashionable seventy-two-year-old in a dugout when footballers and football head coaches seem to be getting younger and younger, and think, yeah, you know, you're always just sort of thinking, what's next? Mm. What comes next? And that might be something they they, they look at in the summer. I don't know. Still, whoever comes in is going to have to have more support than than he's had in the transfer market. Um, and they do do well to keep Crystal Palace in the league, as he has. So uh, certainly Palace shouldn't be looking at sacking him. Mm. James, when you hear about the, the spending or lack of spending, it seems as though Roy Hodgson is fully justified in having his moans and groans that he's had. Um, I think so. Um, but the one thing, I mean, it's... The, uh, James Gearbrandt did a piece last week in The Times sort of uh, assessing the relegation battle. And the one thing that has really kept Palace... Uh, in games is, is is the goalkeeper Guaita. He's he's saved. I think they've Opta have calculated that his saves have been worth seven goals to Palace this season. Um, so so I think you look at they've got they've got the worst attack in the league, um, the fewest shots per game, the fewest chances created from open play per game, um, and it really is the the it is the is the goal prevention that is keeping them in games. So there is a there is a performance question to be to be laid at Roy Hodgson's door as, as, as much as the players. Um, but I think he is doing the best he can with with what isn't a brilliant squad as, the, as these numbers bear out. There's a huge reliance on, on Zaha too. And if he's he's not having the season he's had, of, of, you know, he's had in the past, he's only scored three goals. He's creating fewer chances, taking more, fewer shots. Um, he's not having the impact and he's the talisman. So, But that's not to say you, you would no, never rule him out kind of, uh, Really, kind of finding form in the rest of the season and, and keeping them in the league again because he's he's one of the best players outside the top top two clubs. In I the think that, that's part of what's that really does need resolving. You know, and it, it can't be resolved mid mid season, but it's going to be have to be resolved in the summer. You know, there's been this huge sort of fight behind the scenes about you know who's representing him, what what sort of move they're they're going to can try and get for him who's actually going to pay you know if Crystal Palace seriously want 80 million quid who is actually going to pay that um and it's 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 a bit of a mess to be honest it's a mess in terms of you know where Zahar can realistically get to you know if his mind's if he's not performing as he was this that is partly clearly because he's been imagining his future somewhere else he'd love to be at Arsenal um, almost well as obviously Everton were bidding as well, but you know clearly as Gregor rightly says, you know he is talismanic for them. 
And if there is a huge question mark over him, as there has been for ever since last summer, then that's that's something that's going to have to be resolved. There does seem to be a few questions over what Crystal Palace are and what their ambitions could be. So, James, what are Crystal Palace? <laughs> um, easy, easy one there. <laughs> yeah, but what, what is their sort of? If you're talking about them as a Premier League club, what's their ceiling? Well, I think look at Sheffield United this season. This is a, this is a season where everyone, bar Liverpool and probably Leicester City, I would say, have had inconsistencies in various areas. So, I'm not saying that you know the, the Crystal Palace squad is is nowhere near good enough to be fighting at that end of the table at all, but. If the league is becoming more open and there is more of a chance for these teams to threaten the top half of the table, that's where they should be. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It's not that long ago that Crystal Palace were in the championship and fighting relegation to League One. And I know a lot's changed behind the scenes there. But um, for them to be sort of a, a mid-table established Premier League team is sort of a, not, a, not a bad position to be in, I wouldn't say. Mm. I mean, they were, they were seventh in kind of mid-December. So uh, while well, the results are worrying, it's that it's so tight the the kind of middle classes of the Premier League now um, that you know a, a few good results and they're 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 kind of looking safe and and mid table again. You see, see Everton's kind of flying up the table with a few good results from from kind of being close to the bottom three. So. I, I, I think it'd be madness to get rid of Roy Hodgins just now. Mm. I don't think any of us think that they're going down, do they? I, I don't. I, don't, I, I think don't it's know. points on the board. I mean, yeah. the, the 30 points on the board is really three more wins. Jan Vertonghen has admitted he still wants to do great things with Tottenham. The defender was replaced in his size 3-2 FA Cup win last Wednesday and looked visibly upset. You may well have seen these images circulating on social media if you didn't see the game itself. Now, it looked almost as though he knew he couldn't keep up with the pace of top-level football. He was a player that has been mentioned leaving Tottenham for, for some time. Do you think, it, James, it's time for him to move on? Um, I don't. And I don't think Jose Mourinho would want to move him on mm. either. Um, I think he... It, that was a very... That was a, that was a very bad performance against Southampton we could see him struggling you could see on his face how much it affected him yeah. um, as well uh, I think it's too early to completely write him off I wouldn't say necessarily I mean, he has he has struggled with injury and I think he's but I think it's too early to say that his legs have necessarily gone um, I think back to this time I think it's almost this time to the day last year when he played at left back against uh, Dortmund and was by far the best player on the pitch it was it was an absolutely amazing performance um, I think he scored a very good goal in that game as well. Um, but I think for centre-halves, actually, I'd be interested to hear, Gregor, your view on this because um, I remember a, a former centre-half I spoke to once telling me that he found the best years of his career were at 31, 32 because that was he had the best understanding of his position and where he needed to be on the pitch and how to anticipate forwards and he still had the physical fitness and the legs to keep up with the demands of, of Premier League football um, and I think there's so much experience with Jan Vertonghen at the highest level that I, I still think he's he's got something to offer. Well he's 33 uh, in April and he's played what fullback centre-back um, those kind of roles not so forgiving if, if you make a mistake 
Um, fullback, certainly. Fullback, in particular, yeah. <laughs> at 33, is he coming? Is he at the wrong age? Is he, or can he be reinvigorated coming up to 33? Look, I think he shouldn't be playing fullback. Um, but centre back, centre half. There's no reason why he can't continue playing. Yeah. I mean, the game is changing, and he's, you've got to be more athletic and mobile to even play centre half now. He's good enough on the ball. It's, there's never been any doubt about that. Um, who knows whether he might be have? He's had an ankle problem. We don't know whether he's he's got some. That's an issue for him. Um, and that you know, when you get to that age and and you have a kind of bit of a chronic injury, then it, it can undoubtedly affect your your play. Um, but I, I agree. I think he's someone who's when Josie Mourinho got the job, I thought he he could kind of come back come to the fore again here because you know two years ago he was. Him and, and, and Alderweireld were the best pairing, best cent- central defensive pairing in the league. Um, and the two of them, their form has kind of fallen off the edge of a cliff. It's really, I don't think we can ever really know why that is. I think part of it was to do with the kind of the wearying sort of end to the Pochettino sort of era. Um, and part of it is probably to do with, with them aging a little bit. Um, so he should not be playing at fullback. I think if they had the the opportunity, they wouldn't be playing him at fullback. Mm. Um, but I think he's still, he's certainly got some some time left in him as a centre half. But I also think he's he's missed a lot of football. He's been in and out of the team a lot this year, and he's not had a long, consistent run of games. And I think that's very difficult in those defensive positions to keep the same sharpness. And in the Premier League, it's only a matter of you know it's, it's half a yard here, and it's a it's 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 a lapse of concentration there, and it and it's a huge mistake. Um, so, I think if he can remain fit and is given a long, sustained run in the team in that Southampton game, I think he'd not played for the previous three games. So he, he comes he comes back into the team after a little break, having played a little bit, and then a break before. So also his contract situation, I think, must have been playing on his mind Alderweireld since signing his deal has been um, much more of the player that, that we knew he, he mm. was so so I think I, yeah I, I, I wouldn't rule him out So with that in mind his contract negotiations I mean this is something they need to be wrapping up isn't it sort it out so that he can then completely focus on his football map Yeah I think I mean I think the, I agree with the guys it's about um, no, understanding when to use him and not to expose it. you know as you say you get to a stage I mean I, I remember doing Gary Neville's book with him and him talking about you know, particularly at fullback, when you know you can get isolated by a player who's probably you know you've you know not actually that special ability, but you know they are younger and the and the speed, and that becomes you know it doesn't matter how sort of intelligent you are as a footballer. Sometimes you can just get isolated one on one, and it can be it can look embarrassing um, because yes, it can. Yeah. Yes, it can. <laughs> <laughs> Great, it's nodding. You know, you've got players that you would regard as sort of average players. Hurtling past you, and the, and there's very little you can do about it. So I think it's about yeah understanding um, the sort of game. And we've seen, I've seen it with um, Sabaleta in a couple of games as well. You know, it was like you know some certain opponents. He he could suddenly look like he had aged ten years. It was you know it, it was a question of a manager being shrewd enough to understand which games he's suitable for if he was going to play fullback and. Largely, it might make more sense to uh, to stick him at centre half. In any case, mm. I mean, we're not suggesting in any way, of course, that Jan Vertonghen should be retiring. But, <laughs> but Gregor, just tell us a little bit about how when you know when you knew it, the time the time was up for your career in in football as it was. Now that you're writing about, did it, you know? It, or different. did the fans tell you before you? Knew <laughs> it? Oh yeah, well, several clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there was a 
a moment that I knew my career was up, but I, there was several moments where I kind of knew that my body was on the wane. Yeah. Um, and there's one game against Bradford City that st- stands out vividly. I just remember making a forward run from fullback um, and being kind of played in behind the opposition's back four to, to get to the byline and, and get across in. And I knew I would have reached that ball and I knew kind of... I that I I had the speed I had the, I did have the speed I did have the kind of athleticism to get there and get the cross in, and I just couldn't my legs weren't moving as fast as as they sort of once did and oh. that's not like it's not about it's about the kind of fluidity of movement you don't your your muscles over time they slightly kind of stiffen and tighten rather than being supple and and flexible it's only marginal but that has an effect another thing is is kind of reaction times so the kind of kind of like I don't know being, being on your toes and being able to react quickly to someone like a winger mm. jinking or making it, do, taking a trick and, and, and going, trying to go past you the reaction times you, if you're if you're kind of your legs aren't moving quick as quite as quickly as your thoughts that's really really hard to take so there were the little um, telltale signs yeah again it's all very marginal yeah. but if you know he's, a player's going to do something and you think you should be able to get there but you your body's not getting there as quick as your kind of thoughts. So it also can affect the team as well, because if you start backing off, then you potentially you're defending deeper, and then that's a knock-on effect on on the line mm-hmm. you're holding and stuff. So it, yeah, manager does have to be pretty careful. Again, it comes back to choosing the games that it it, it might be problematic or not of just how the whole defensive line is working as well, isn't? And and you have to kind of tailor your own game. So it, I was a fullback. I wanted to play centre half. I, I I went to centre half in kind of latter years because you don't get isolated against wingers so the idea that Vertonghen is playing against wingers when at a moment when he should not be <laughs> that's his first problem really you look at Wayne Rooney now playing in midfield absolutely and yeah. it's, it's it's finding ways to adapt your game and, and, and getting the best of the attributes that you you can still excel at what I, wanted, what I wanted to ask you Gregor was do you feel that it changed do you notice it is it a season on season thing is it every pre-season you come back and do you feel like Something there's something's changed in your game, or or is it when you come back from an injury or injury is a big thing. Yeah, yeah. You've you've you know had a year out with a broken leg, and then coming back from that, you notice the kind of mechanics of your body are are altered from it. Fundamentally, you've got you put more kind of weight through one leg than another, and so yeah, injuries play a huge part. And Vertonghen again has had injuries, and they catch up with you. So that's when you've got to kind of alter your game and tailor your game to to play to your strengths the strengths you still have (laughs) Finally Storm Kira has taken its toll on some of the weekend's sporting action one of the two Premier League Sunday games was cancelled as West Ham travelled to Manchester City in vain all six women's Super League matches including Everton against Liverpool was cancelled as well Sheffield United versus Bournemouth went ahead with the Blades winning that one 2-1 also we had Millwall against West Brom with West Brom winning that one at the Den but kind of made us think about what are the worst conditions you've ever witnessed, played in or experienced. So let's first of all come to Gregor. What about your time playing the game? What were the conditions like, what were the worst conditions? Well, the worst thing for football is wind, undoubtedly. So lots of games where you take a goal kick and you can't get your own own half. Um, Played in fog. I remember I won one FA Cup game where just from nowhere this fog descended and you couldn't see... I played at left fullback. I couldn't see the right back. You couldn't see across your own your own what? pitch. And uh, we're playing a lower league team called uh, Droylston, and they were one 0 up. 
and the game got abandoned at half time and they were devastated. Oh, so, but the, the I think the most extreme, I remember a f- the coldest experience of my life on a football pitch, a game against Burton Albion at the Pirelli Stadium. And our goalkeeper had, he, he had long hair and he always wet his hair and he had a kind of little band in, a guy called Tommy Lee. And we went out uh, for the second half and his hair had frozen. His hair was rock like solid. frozen rock solid, yeah. He was, he, was like, he was knocking his hair, it was, it was a nonsense. So that was, yeah, you know, every breath was, was painful. Yeah, that's the oh, coldest experience God. of my life. Do you know P- the Pirelli Stadium? I remember once going to it's to cover a, a game. Oh, <laughs> my! And we had every element in the sense of all the bad elements: so the wind, <laughs> the rain, and I was sheltered, but there was no shelter because I remember my hair was all over my face. I was just <laughs> soaked through. It was horrendous. And it, just as you mentioned, Burton Albion, I remember thinking, oh, I remember that stadium. And it's, oh yeah, you're not sheltered really in any way. Uh, Matt, what about you? Um, a couple come to mind. Um, in terms of experience, as in playing, um, I played once on the uh, equivalent of Hackney Marshes in Manchester and we were playing and it was absolutely, you know, it was one of those just hor- horrendous days, freezing, horizontal rain. And anyway, it was so cold that the referee blew for half time, and we were all like, "Let's just turn around and just start as fast as <laughs> possible." But um, which seems wise. But then the um, the referee, um, this is why it's seared on the memory. The referee stood in the centre circle just before the second half and started having a wee in the middle of the centre circle. What? At which point they say this is Hackney Masters equivalent, um, and we were just looking like, "What the are you doing?" I remember one of my teammates, understandably, being outraged um, at the sight <laughs> and saying, "What the bloomin' do you think you're doing?" At which the referee turned around and said, uh, "The way you lot are playing, just be glad I'm not having a, uh, a <laughs> dump shit, whichever way you want to put it." Doing uh, a Gary Lineker. He may, he, he may, he, he may have had a point. <laughs> no sliding tackles in that bit. But, uh, so that one sticks in the memory for obvious reasons. And just quickly, on, on a work front, um, I mean, the world's smallest violin will be out for this, but I think it was um, Azerbaijan. There was an um, uh, England game where there was a terrible sort of storm. It was when the Mirror, uh, Michael Owen scored, and the Mirror, um, credit to them, came up with a back page headline of the answer for Sven is Owen in the wind. <laughs> which I thought was very good but anyway there was this it was we were trying to type with laptops out and there was horizontal rain coming and there were sort of laptops exploding left right and centre and you know sort of people trying to type while a big yeah say the world's smallest violin out but yeah <laughs> trying trying to sort of yeah type on a laptop in an exposed press box in the middle of the equivalent of um Storm Kira was interesting. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm not sure if anyone can beat the ref urinating <laughs> no chance, in no. the middle of the pitch, but James, care to? No, uh, no. I mean, my, my football career is tragically brief. Um, <laughs> so my example comes from, I think, when I was about 11 years old at school, playing in a blizzard and snow settling on the ground, and that was absolutely horrendous. Um, but uh, from a, in a professional capacity, um, it would probably. I mean, in uh, I, I worked briefly in um, in Scotland and covered a lot of games in the Scottish Championship, and um, some of those press boxes are quite exposed. Um, but I remember one uh, one um, Edinburgh derby, um, Hearts and Hibs, and it was the start of a season. They were both in the Scottish Championship. Hearts had started the season unbeaten. Hibs were one nil up and going into the last minute, and that ground Easter Road is very very windy, and. Um, 
and it had been blowing a gale. No one had really been able to kind of kick anything sort of it, it, with any kind of accuracy until the last minute. Ali Mozturk, the heart centre half, has a go from 40 yards and the wind just takes it all the way in. <laughs> no. And um, Hart's unbeaten uh, streak continued. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a good all-round story. Absolutely. I like that. OK, well, that is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor, who's back from Milan. Also to James Restall and Matt Dickinson. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Thursday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.